it's over a, a decade now, I, I remember uh, seeing a, a small video. I picked this video up at an Alliance District Conference thing, and I didn't know anything about it, but I was into free stuff, and it was free, so, oh, great. And I went home and I plugged it in, and it was uh, from Remember New, I, though I, I had forgot where it was from, but the story just stuck with me. I had never heard about this child sex slave industry thing. And that children will be sold into this horror would just rip my heart. And so I remember looking, calling agencies. How in the world can I get involved? How can we fix this? Um, when I came here, Scott had had that same burden on his heart. So he and I were looking and searching and interviewing different people, different groups. And I remember uh, that no, nothing was working out. And then Scott said, you know, I found this other guy who just happened to be the ones who kicked out that video that, you know, introduced me to this in the front front end. I didn't know that still at the time. But as we interviewed him, um, we interviewed Carl on the phone. And in all honesty, I was a bit jaded. You know, we talked all these other things and everybody was, their overhead was crazy or they were doing some really goofy things. And uh, so I was just peppering him with questions. Let's get this over with. Let's find out where this guy's a con and let's move on. But as we kept going, I kept realizing, you know, I started realizing there's something here. Is this right? What if we found the place where we can actually make a difference? And uh, Carl Ralston, the founder of Remember New, joined us three, four years ago, I think, uh, introduced us to what they were doing. Uh, then he came back the following year with New herself, and she was with us. Um, and so we're glad he's able to join us again this morning. So would you welcome Carl with me? Now, Carl, you, your home is, is Akron, is that right? It is. So how, how much time are you out of the country? I mean, I would, you're all over the place, right? My wife and I grew up in the Akron area. We lived in Thailand for five years, and now we're back stateside, but we live in the state of Washington. And uh, currently, I have some people that do all of the operations for Remember New. So I'm stateside a lot more now. I'm probably three international trips a year. Oh, good, good, good. <clears throat> Wonderful. Well, you know, there might be some people here who don't know your story, Carl. And so I'm going to ask if you would share that. Because 13 years ago, about, you were in a suburb, a uh, businessman, enjoying life. Love the Lord, but that was... And today... You founded an organization that's in multiple countries doing something radically. Uh, was this even on your mind back then? Tell us how you got from point A to point B. Yeah, I was living in Akron, Ohio at the time. Had a very easy life, owned a couple of businesses. My wife and I were just kind of cruising along. We had been Christians about 12 years. I was 42 at that time. And we went on, or I went on a missions trip that was led by the Christian Missionary Alliance where they flew missionaries in from all over Asia into Chiang Mai, Thailand. And they each told what God was doing in their countries. And the last guy was from Cambodia who spoke. And he talked about child sex trafficking, which I had never heard about. He explained that this was happening to a million children a year. I have a mathematical mind, so I figured out pretty quickly that was 114 an hour. We're entering the sex trade every hour of each day of the year. And then he showed this picture of New, and she was in a picture with three other girls. 
And I could just see Christ shining through her face. He explained that she became a Christian at seven years old, was baptized, started growing in her faith, talking to others about Christ. And I was really relating with her as my sister in Christ. It was just her picture. But I thought it's so neat. I'm in Akron, Ohio, and literally 12 time zones away, she was, and we were siblings in Christ. And right about that time, he said that her grandmother carried out a threat and sold her to a brothel when she was 14 years old. And at that moment, God impressed upon my heart, remember new. And I just broke down crying, thinking about what was happening to my sister in Christ and how helpless I was to do anything about it. Within a week, I was back home in Akron. One morning I was praying, and I just said, God, until the day I die, I will do everything I can to stop this. I knew I couldn't just live my life as though I didn't know what was going on around the world. And so at that point, I started doing research to learn what could be done. I started taking trips to look for new uh, I knew that she was in Cambodia, probably living along either the Tonle Sap or the Mekong River. So I would take an interpreter with that picture and just stop everybody that was out and ask them if they knew any of the girls in the picture, their families, how I could find them. And after two and a half years and six trips, I found her in July of 2006. She became our first official employee in September 2006. And we opened our very first children's home in January of 2007 with her help. Now, did you officially adopt New? I actually tried to adopt her, but because she was over 16, the U.S. won't let you won't let you adopt someone from a foreign country once they're 16 and older. So, just in my heart. Yeah, sure, sure. So, if you're uh, walking, Carl, someone asks you what you do. How do you explain that? What is Remember New? Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit approved by the IRS here in the States, and we have one mission, and it's simply ending child sex slavery through prevention. So we exist to try and stop children being used in this way. And how, Now, way back when, you started with New. That was a pretty small home at that point. Where are you today? We started the first home with 15 girls from the very neighborhood where New was sold from. In that area, uh, 77% of the girls were being sold that at that time. So we opened that home up in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And uh, just to give you an idea of what God did through Remember New, it takes an average of 12 years for someone to buy land, build a building, and have 30 children running in a children's home successfully. But I was halfway through a master's degree at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and I knew I needed to finish the degree first. So I started doing research on what could be done to help and wrote my master's thesis on this. And because we didn't make the mistakes that other people generally make, We've been able to open 80 children's homes in just 11 years. And you're in. Yeah, yeah right, right. To God's right. credit. So that's how many kids and in how many countries? We currently have about 1,700 children in our full-time care, and we're in 15 countries around the world. 
any of those countries giving you grief or, I mean, are they just welcoming you in or did you have to battle or fighting with some mafia people now? I can't imagine folk who made their living this way are real happy you coming in and getting into their pocket. It's one of the things I learned is that a third of the people abusing the children are government officials and police. And so when you go into a country, if you tell them that you're here to eliminate the use of children in the sex trade, they generally will not allow you in because someone that has to sign off, maybe a brothel owner or maybe a user. And so what we learn to do is we go into a country and say that we're here to help impoverished children, which is totally true. Every child we help is impoverished. And because we do that, they haven't kind of put two and two together to realize exactly our target of who we're trying to help. Sure. Would would you help us understand? I mean, as a parent, to think about selling my kid, I may get ticked off at my kids sometimes, but to think about selling your children, especially in this way, it's hard to understand what is going through somebody's mind. How does a kid end up in that kind of a situation? Yeah, it's hard for us to understand. It was very hard for me to understand coming from America, living here my whole life, how this happens. But in many of these countries, uh, women are really discriminated against a lot. And so a typical situation that we run into is husband and wife get married when they're young. They have a few children. Maybe eight years later, the husband thinks that the 16-year-old girl working at the little store down the road is prettier than his wife. They connect. They end up abandoning his family, moving to another province. And then that lady is left with those three children, but she has no ability to get a job that is worth anything financially. Most of them, the best work they can get is to go pick through the trash for recyclables. And doing that, they can make about 15 or $20 a month. And so literally when we find a lot of our children, there's three kids in that family and they're all starving to death. Um, or she'll get remarried, try and find someone that'll say they'll take care of the, her children. They'll say yes. And then as soon as they have a baby, that husband says, hey, those are children from another marriage. We have to k- take care of our family. And our most common child at Remember New comes home from school and their mom is gone and they'll never see their parents again. I call them effectively orphaned because their parents are still alive, but they'll never see them again. And so those are the children that we know are very much at risk of the trade. Well, And how do you connect with these kids? How do you get to find them? What we, again, just learned to do through interviewing people who had started homes and stuff, we learned that what happens is someone will come back from the city. They may have been a sex trade worker themselves, and they come back to their home village, and they will look for children who are vulnerable, and they will take them back to the city and sell them to a brothel. They're... Um, called sex brokers, and what we'll do is we'll go to that village where we hear a child has been sold, and we talk to the village chief, and we tell them, hey, we are we have children's homes to help impoverished kids, and if you'll let us interview your children, we can help some of them maybe. 
and we'll do an interview. We literally have like a 10-page application that we have the child fill out, like their grade point average, uh, health history, what they want to do when they grow up, things like that. And in reality, we only care about eight questions, and those are the ones that determine if they're at risk of the sex trade. And once we figure out if they're at risk, then we tell the village chief, we'll call back in two weeks and let you know if we can offer any scholarships. And we'll offer scholarships to any of the children that are at risk. And in that way, the brokers don't know what we're doing because many of them are connected to mafia or, you know, pretty bad people. If they knew what we were doing, we literally would probably be killed. But because we do it this way and we call back, no one knows what we're doing exactly. Now, I know that uh, there is uh, sex slavery here in the U.S. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, here in Erie. How does it differ in the states versus overseas? And how come you all don't have homes here in the states? Yeah, it is a big difference. Uh, there's a congressional report about child sex trafficking of U.S. citizens, U.S. children. And there's basically two ways it happens here in the U.S. for the most part. The first way is that a an older uh, man, maybe 20, 25 years old, will target a young girl to pimp her out. He'll befriend her. He'll act like he's her boyfriend. He loves her. They're going to be together forever. But then after a while, he'll say, look, we need some money. If you go with my friend, he's going to give us $100. That's really going to help us. And then it's a second friend, a third friend. And before she knows it, she's actually a prostitute working the streets. And they set out to target them that way. That's one way. Second way is if there's a lot of times children run away because there's abuse in the home, whether it's from a neighbor or a family member, and they'll run away and get on a bus and go somewhere. And when they land, the average time for them to be picked up after they land is two hours once they hit that bus station because literally the pimps are in the bus stations looking for those children getting off the buses. They'll befriend them. They'll give them food, clothing, shelter. And then after a while, they'll say, hey, you need to pay this money back and go with my friend. And before she knows it or he knows it, it happens to boys also, then they're working the streets. So because of that, we focus exclusively on preventing the child from ever entering the sex trade. I don't think there's a better way than America already has in place to prevent that. We have social workers, counselors, teachers, police, friends, neighbors that can prevent this. Uh, the only thing I think we can do is start doing education so that these young girls know the signs of when they're about to be pimped out or that young people understand the dangers of running away. And there are some groups that are starting to teach in the schools on these topics. Now, y'all don't do rescue, right? I mean, you don't storm brothels or buy children back, that type of thing. In my mind, that was always the, what you were supposed to do. Y'all are going to a, an alternative way here. Explain why you, why you do what you do and why you don't do that. When I first learned about this topic, I read everything I could find on it. 
Uh, that first year, I probably read about 20,000 pages on children's homes, child sex trafficking, what people were doing. And literally, the first two months I read, it was all about intervention. So it was going into brothels, taking children out. And then I stumbled on a prevention article, a guy in Thailand with like 15 or 16 children who was doing prevention. And then I was doing research, interviewing people who were going in brothels, getting them out, who were doing prevention, different things. And going and getting a child out of, the bro- out of a brothel is actually the purest form of a dilemma that I have ever seen. What a lot of times people don't realize is these are businessmen and women. So if you take their product away, you take a child out of a brothel, they go buy another child and put them in. So ironically, when you get a child out, you're actually condemning another child into that brothel. It it really is a dilemma. I'm not saying that we shouldn't get children out, but it's an example of one helping hurts because every child you take out, they just put another child in. And so learning that, I just felt like there had to be a better way. And with prevention, we're taking away their supply. And so we're making it harder and harder for them to find children rather than just condemning more children. So you got uh, our, our, our girl in Kenya. She comes to the home. What's a typical day like for her? She'll probably get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, do some chores, eat breakfast, get ready and go to school, come back maybe at 4 o'clock or so. Uh, they have some more chores they have to do for 10 or 15 minutes. And then they'll go out and play maybe till 5 or 6 o'clock for an hour or so come in, have dinner, and most of the time then they have to do homework, take a shower, get ready for bed, and wake up and do the same thing. On the weekends, though, they're free to play or iron their clothes or sometimes they'll have homework, but like most of us, that's done at uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday night. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll go to church. Depending on the home, they may have church in the home. That happens often for us. Sure. And, and do you have a lot of kids decide, I'm not messing with y'all's rules, I'm out of here, uh, thank you for this, but I'm done? Yeah, it's it's uh, something that is a problem for a lot of children's homes, but because we're so focused on children who are at risk of the trade, generally they're coming from such terrible positions that the last thing in the world they're going to think of is going out of our children's home. As an example, you'd just started a home in Myanmar that you partner with us. Most of those children, if they leave our home, they're going to have to go live in the jungle, literally. So the last thing they're doing is thinking of leaving. You've been watching the news, this whole Larry Nasser thing, and the uh, abuse that happens with uh, vulnerable kids. Um, I can imagine the homes you have are filled with vulnerable kids and it doesn't look like there's necessarily lots of social work and lots of protection for these guys. Um, What have you done to protect these guys from being abused by your house workers and how's your record been with that? Yeah, I learned 
early on that there are just some a few simple things you can do to eliminate abuse. In research, about 40% of the children's homes around the world, there's abuse in them or alleged abuse. But it's also fairly simple to prevent that. One of the things we have at Remember New is a steadfast rule with no exceptions that if you're alone with a child, you're fired. The children literally, if you ask them, know that if Carl Ralston's alone with a child, I'm fired. I've made that clear to the kids. If their house mother is alone with a child, they're fired. If a child is sick, they'll have another child stay with them so that that child's not alone. We really are pretty psychotic on that. But that does two things. One, it prevents abuse. And two, it prevents false allegations. Sometimes in children's homes, a girl will have a boyfriend. She'll think she's pregnant and she'll falsely accuse one of the house parents or workers or somebody that visited to try and protect her boyfriend. And because of that, we have the rule that you're not allowed to be alone with the child. So literally in 11 years, we've never had even an allegation of abuse. That's on um, adult child abuse. Another form of abuse that occurs often in children's homes is child-on-child abuse. And the way that happens a lot is when you're isolating kids. And for that reason, whenever possible, we have all of the children sleep in one big room so that if a child does try and abuse another child, the other children will stop it or tell on them. Again, uh, fortunately, we've never even had an allegation of that because of that. We also have a child protection policy that the workers and children know about that, you know, a child knows if they ever feel uncomfortable that they're supposed to come to a house parent and tell them. You've been, you've had homes for 11 years, is that right? Yes. So you've seen some kids like NICE graduate out. Would you introduce us to a child or two, a success story, somebody whose life was really changed that you really uh, you really say, you know what, this is a good thing that God has used me in? Uh, one of the girls, ironically, her name is New, and she's from Cambodia. And you're not supposed to have favorites, but some of them steal your heart more than others. And she was in that first children's home that we started, among the first 15 children that Remember New started with. And she's a very smart young lady. Her uh, mom, it, she had a crazy family tree as far as uh, her mom and aunts and uh, different things. She um, witnessed the death of some of her families in a house fire that was set and uh, just had a very difficult life. But she's smart as a whip and has a great heart. And when she first came to us, you could tell that she was a smart young lady, but you could also tell she was a very wounded young lady. And because she was in that first home, I would go over there maybe half a dozen times a year and spend a lot of time with those kids, and I knew them the best of any of the children at Remember New. And I just watched her over the years do better and better in school and lose 
the wounds that she had. And now she just graduated, getting ready to go to university. She speaks about four languages fluently. She's the translator for us in Cambodia uh, to English from Vietnamese and Khmer and I forget, maybe Chinese, I think is her other language. And she graduated at the top of her class as a Vietnamese refugee in a Cambodian school. And I just can't tell you how many prejudices she has against her. But you just see her flourishing where if she wasn't involved with us, I'm certain she would have been in the sex trade. She she was in a neighborhood where 77% of the children were sold at that time. My goodness. Do you, you when you look back at, at where God has led you, uh, gave up your businesses, and you ever have any regrets on this? Yeah, I, I had a couple of businesses in 2007 that we sold. Had a very easy life, uh, a lot of prestige, went on a lot of great trips. They treated us like little children, actually. <laughs> um, but I say that God wrecked my life in a positive way. I wouldn't go back to the business world for a billion dollars a year. I have the best position in all the world. Literally, I know that because of heroes like you that sponsor our children, Remember New has saved 2,000 children from the most terrible fate possible, in my opinion. And also over 90% of them have become Christians in our history. And these are in countries that are 97% Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, animistic, atheistic. So I've had more joy in my life than I think possible. Do you need any help? We need lots of help. And what if somebody is interested or thinks that maybe they might be interested? Yeah, if you're interested, you could come out back. My wife and I will be at a table back there along with Pam McIntyre and her husband. And I'd, if you're interested in helping with Remember New, I'd be happy to give you my card and you can contact me. You can sponsor children. There's a lot of different things. You can be a prayer warrior for us. Uh Talk to us about the sponsorship program because y'all are a little bit more expensive than Compassion or World Vision. Uh, why? And and then uh, talk to us about how you do your sponsorships. Yeah, we, we're a little different. Uh, most organizations that have you sponsor a child, they're giving that child supplements. They may be paying for their education, but they're not housing them. And so our children live with us 24-7. We provide for their physical, their educational, their emotional, and their spiritual needs. We're giving them food, clothing, shelter, medical care, education. Uh, when they graduate high school, we'll give them vocational training or send them to college. So we're really taking them out of their at-risk environments and protecting them. When they're not pulled out of their environments, they still end up being sold. They just may be more educated or better nourished than if they didn't have a sponsor. So because of that, our costs are more. And so around the world, it costs us about $85 per month as an average to provide all of those needs for the children. We have three different levels of sponsorship. 
you can be a parent sponsor at $60 per month, or you can be a grandparent sponsor at $40 a month, or you can be a sibling sponsor at $20 a month. And we literally have like eight-year-old grandparent sponsors or uh, 80-year-old sibling sponsors. It's not age-dependent. We just set them up that way, and it's a way to have these children who many of them have lost everything. It creates a family for them of three different people or families that they know are praying for them and caring for them. And with our sponsorships, every dime goes to the sponsorship of the children. We don't take anything out for administrative cost or advertising or anything. So every dollar goes to the needs of the children. And the reason we try and collect more than $85 a month is we have one-time cost, like to build a building for them to live in or build a, or buy a truck for them to be taken to school. So that extra money helps provide for that. Also, when they go to vocational training or college, their costs are a lot more. Those might be more like $250 a month to provide for their food, clothing, shelter, and their cost of education. So all of that chips in to cover those needs as well. You know, we've got a uh, mission trip. Remember new trip to Myanmar, I think, coming up. Encourage these guys to go. Talk, yeah. talk them into signing up. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, if you haven't, uh, I, I used to tell people if I videotaped 24-7 for seven days when I was on a trip and you watch the video, it still wouldn't translate to you. There's something about looking in the eyes of the children, and I think it has to do with the fact that these children are made in the image of God. And you go there and you understand how vulnerable they are, how if, like, we cease to exist all of a sudden, the tragedy that they would live in. You'll see where the children come from, typically, where they're at now, and where they can be if we weren't involved or you weren't sponsoring them. Uh, Myanmar is a great place to go. They're an English colony, formerly. Uh, they were given sovereignty after World War II. But because of that, they have a lot of English influence. So many people in the country speak English, which makes it a lot nicer for people as they travel there. It is one of the most undeveloped countries in all of the world. World Health Organization ranks countries based on health care, life expectancy, and infant mortality. They rank 180 countries, and Myanmar is 180th. They're the worst country in the world for those things. So there's a lot of need there, but a lot of interesting experiences too. And the children are just lovely. They'll steal your hearts. They'll sit down and cheat you in Uno or uh, whatever they can. <laughs> if if somebody is interested in being a sponsor, what's the next step? What do they need to do? If you would, you, if you're interested in going on the trip, if you can talk to Pastor Scott, he'll be back out at our table. And if you're interested in sponsoring a child out at our table, we have three piles of children that we need sponsored. Most of them are in the Myanmar home because that home is the newest one here for the First Alliance. And on the left-hand side are all the children that need parent sponsors. That's the $60 a month. 
and then in the center the grandparents that need $40 a month, and then on the right side the sibling sponsors, which are needed at $20 a month. And my wife and Pam McIntyre will be out there. You can sign up with them to, and you can actually choose your child. They have the picture of the child and a little bio of them that you can see them and their age and probably their favorite color and stuff. Now, new, she was here two years ago or whatever. How's she doing? She's doing very good on May 8th, Mother's Day of 2016. She got married to Gabriel. Uh, he's a great young man that's from Oregon. He loves and adores her, which is great for me to see. And they're in their second year of marriage doing very well. They are in Portland, which is about an hour and 15 minutes from my wife and I. So we'll, like tomorrow night, we fly into Portland at 640 and we'll get to see them for dinner and spend some time with them. And we get to see them maybe once a month or so. And um, they're doing really well. They go to a church out there called a Jesus Church, and they're uh, active. They have started a small group that they lead and just enjoying being in the States. She uh, will apply for her green card this fall and get – or I'm sorry, she has a green card. She'll apply for citizenship this fall. And hopefully by next year, she'll be a U.S. citizen. Uh, now, she's still involved with Remember New? She is. She was the first employee we hired on September 19th of 2006. So she's worked for with us for 12 years. And now she does uh, some speaking for us. And you may get a call from her. You probably will get a call for her from her sometime this year. She's just starting to call through and thank people for sponsoring children and giving to Remember New. So answer your phone call if you get one from a 971 area code. All right. <laughs> well, now yourself, because you're leaving here, and what are you going to be doing? Uh, my wife and I will take the first time ever sabbatical for us starting on February 15th and the board of Remember New approved that for us and it's a six month sabbatical and for me I'll be focusing on learning about leadership so I can be a better leader of Remember New and also the vision of Remember New. Um, so I'm supposed to split up a third of my time in learning about leadership and a third about vision, and then a third, Lori and I are going to do some marriage retreat stuff as well. That's wonderful. Um, we've got some folk here, Carl, who are strong prayer warriors for uh, Remember New. What would you say, just give us a couple of prayer requests. You'd say top of your mind, things they really could be helping you with if they'd be praying about. One thing I would ask is if you are a prayer warrior and you're not on our prayer list, please go back and tell my wife you'd like to sign up to be on our prayer letter. She sends that out every couple of months and gives some inside things that we need prayer about that aren't in the general public knowledge. Uh, right now, the biggest prayer request that we have is in the first eight years of Remember New, we grew about 90 children per year. So we got up to 750 children. But then in the last two years, we grew by 450 children each year. And that accelerated growth for two years 
was more than we could handle. And so sadly, in August of 2017, we had to stop adding new children to Remember New in order to catch up financially. And God did a lot. We had a great year end, and we ended up um, probably with about $450,000 in our general fund at Remember New. However, uh, we want to make sure that we're in a position to care for those 1,700 children in our care. And so we've, we're keeping that moratorium on adding new children until March 31st just to make sure this is usually a bad quarter for us like all nonprofits. We want to make sure that things are stable. So if you could pray for that, that breaks my heart. It's the first time in 12 years that we had to stop adding children, but we want to be responsible fiscally as well. So that's a big thing. And then on my sabbatical, if you just pray that I would understand and know God's vision for Remember New as we move forward. Well, thank you for including us on your calendar and looking forward to what God has in the future for Remember New. And for us, as we partner with you, we want to take a minute, if we can, to pray for for you and, and Lori. If you'd pray with me as we commit them to you again, God, just saying thank you for the vision you've given for uh, way back when, when you knocked on Carl's conscience and heart and you showed him the need. And Lord, thank you for his his response. And it does break our hearts, God, when we think of the little boys and girls in the world who no fault of their own just end up in such a terrible place experiencing evil and the best evil that the world can throw at them. And God, thank you for using uh, people who are serving with Remember New, the volunteers, the people on staff, Carl and Lori. And God, I would pray that your blessing would please fall on that ministry. Would your Holy Spirit please anoint that ministry for the sake of these children who are coming to know you, uh, raising up incredible disciples in parts of the world where missionaries aren't allowed, where there is no voice for you. Thank you, God. Would you continue to do that? And Lord, whatever you would have for their, their future, I pray that your spirit would be all over that, that you'd protect from the attacks of hell and just Satan himself, the governments, wicked people who would want to tear down and destroy that which you're doing, who would want to hurt these these lives. God, I pray that you'd protect them. And we, we ask, Lord, that your vision for it would go forth. We would, it's kind of a crazy prayer, but that this thing would be eradicated before even you would come back, Lord Jesus. Would you do that? I pray that you'd do that. Thank you. Thanks for letting us uh, talk to you. We know that that's your heart, Lord. We're not sharing anything new to you. And so, God, uh, we commit this to you and we pray, Lord, that you would your will would be done. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be here. We know to whom much is given, much is required. May we just be good stewards with that which you've given to us in, in Jesus' name. Amen.